Hello friends, welcome to episode 181 of the Find Your Model Health podcast. The podcast for those looking to optimize their long-term health and weight goals and understand how their body really works. I hope you're all really well today on this lovely April afternoon and I hope you had a wonderful Easter. I really do. It's the little things and the little events nowadays that help to keep us grateful and in a positive space and making the best of circumstances. So I thank you for joining me for another episode which I hope you will find really helpful and I've got asked about this a lot so hopefully it gets lots of listens and before I go on though I must remind you that the information in these podcast episodes is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice please do consult your healthcare practitioner before making any lifestyle changes So in this week's episode, I actually have gotten asked about this about three times in the last week. And if I don't have specific topics planned that I want to discuss because I find them interesting or I feel they'll help people, I'll usually go with topics or questions that people send to me or ask me. And this question about a FODMAP diet has popped up a few times. Um, How does one do it? What is it? And all the in-between details. So let's get into this. Now generally, if people are suffering from chronic bloating, abdominal pain, or strange bowel habits, what maybe we would consider IBS or irritable bowel syndrome, um, then they usually will get recommended by their healthcare practitioner to try a low FODMAP diet for a while. And most of these people, well most of everyone I think would benefit from a low FODMAP diet because the molecular exposure to certain proteins is more controlled, well sugars is more controlled and most people kind of do better when we avoid certain sugars but that doesn't mean that everybody needs it. I mean you can heal the gut and address different bowel habits without going FODMAP but for those of you that want to try hopefully you'll find what you need in this podcast episode. So what are FODMAPs? Well, FODMAPs, F-O-D-M-A-P-S, are a group of food compounds that are generally eliminated on a low FODMAP diet. So a low FODMAP diet originally was created in Melbourne, Australia, believe it or not, is a temporary elimination diet that aims to reduce symptoms of IBS, sometimes called IBD, so that's irritable bowel syndrome or irritable bowel disease. And the acronym FODMAP stands for F, which is fermentable, and these are types of compounds that are broken down or fermented by bacteria in our large intestine. Then we've got the O, oligosaccharides. I say oligo out of habit, but really it's oligo. So oligo means few, and saccharide means sugar. So these molecules are made up of individual sugars joined together in a chain. 
Then we've got the D, disaccharides. So the di means two, so this is a double sugar molecule. And then we've got monosaccharides. I think many of us know mono means single, like our um, monosaturated fats. So monosaccharides are a single sugar molecule. And then our polyols, so our P, and these are naturally occurring and man-made sugar alcohols. So that's fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. So that is our FODMAPs. Um, and they are short-chain carbohydrates, which ferment in your large bowel if they are poorly digested. Or I will add, if you have some sort of SIBO going on. So maybe an overgrowth of bad bacteria and the good bacteria are somewhat null and void. So when this happens, you see um, a lot of common symptoms of IBS, including bloating, pain like spasms and cramping, uh, abdominal distension. So for those of you that haven't experienced an IBS reaction before, one, you'll start to bloat or gas up. So not just your upper stomach above your belly button, but also below your belly button. So it'll all just kind of start to distend. Um, and then the pain specifically, we usually see those cramps or spasms in the intestines, which for most people, they will feel below their belly button. So that whole area below the belly button. And then like that, scene of Dumb and Dumber where he goes uh oh and he has to run to the bathroom that's it you will literally get an uh oh moment I need a bathroom right now so that's generally the symptoms of IBS and what you can expect to experience um, then as the fermentation process draws in water um, that then of course produces the gas uh, the methane which again could come back to an overgrowth of bacteria bad bacteria some carbon dioxide and that's where you get all that bloating and feeling uncomfortable and just it's really not fun i've owned i don't have issues with fodmap foods apart from um i suppose broccoli and cauliflower i will get an ibs reaction from them if i have them raw and i will get all the ibs symptoms but otherwise i don't get them but that's how i know what this feels like so when we're looking at bringing in a low FODMAP diet, we're obviously looking at starting to avoid those FODMAP containing foods. Now, this is where it gets a little bit confusing because there are five overarching types of FODMAPs found in different foods. So these types, these types of sugars are going to be fructose, which most of us have heard of, and we know it's a natural sugar found in most fruits and some vegetables, and then your pop, um, and then in some foods, we might see fructose added to the foods in like your um, fructose corn syrup and whatnot. Then the next one is lactose, which is a natural sugar found in 
certain types of dairy foods, um, like certain types of milk, yogurt, and some cheeses. And I say certain types and some cheeses because not all. You can get some that don't have lactose added. Like if you can get your hands on raw milk or raw yogurt, then the lactose there is almost non-existent. Um, and then we've got fructans, and these seem to be the most problematic type of FODMAP, and they're found in some vegetables and grains, so these are going to be your inflammatory proteins, kind of along the idea of lectins. So fructans and lectins are very much, they go hand in hand, but... I don't know why they don't add that in, but in my opinion, that would be something. And I teach most of my clients to be very aware of lectins. Not always avoid them, but we're very aware of lectins. And if we are coming across lectin-containing foods where we think, well, we already have chronic inflammation as a problem in the person, then maybe we will approach preparing or cooking those lectin-containing foods a little differently. The next one is galactans. Uh, galactans are primarily found in legumes and beans. And again, galactans and lactans kind of go hand in hand. And then we got our polyols. So those again are sugar alcohols. Like even your so-called healthy stuff like xylitol erythritol. Then we've got our sorbitol, maltitol and mannitol. Um, most of these are commonly found in chewing gum or kind of sugar-free food and drinks, but we want we want to kind of understand them as well because this doesn't mean totally avoid them. Like I said, not everyone will need to go on a low FODMAP diet. For instance, I really like xylitol because xylitol in chewing gum has been shown to be very beneficial for our oral microbiome and keeping those bad bacteria under control and promoting the good bacteria there. So there's always this sort of context in things. So then the FODMAPs that I've mentioned can be found in high quantities in certain foods and if you're in my biohacking library Facebook group I'm hoping to get an infograph or a PDF or something uploaded in there soon with some lists so specific lists um, that will tell you what foods are like the highest FODMAPs and so on so we've got vegetables like our artichoke garlic, onions, asparagus, cauliflower, leek, mushroom, sugar snap peas. And now if you're familiar with my teachings on salicylates, you'll see that a lot of these foods are also notorious for having high salicylate um, volume as well. And then we look at our fruits. So the highest in FODMAPs are going to be our mangoes, cherries, figs, grapefruit, peaches, pears, plums, and watermelon. And then when we're at our grains and cereals, I think most of us know the most problematic grain is going to be wheat. Uh, in my 
circle of clients and students, I always say let's avoid wheat, barley and rye and then spelt has just been added on recently. So those are like, let's absolutely avoid them. And if my clients are having them, we're going to sprout them. We may be adding some digestive enzymes or we maybe just save them for our feast day or whatever. But um, pumpernickel will fall in there too, kamut, and even wheat noodles, which I, I honestly, I don't know many people who eat wheat noodles. So, um, but next in the dairy category, we're looking at our more kind of processed dairy, um, cream cheese, sour cream, uh, and it does depend on the fat content. Custards are in the dairy category. Um, ice cream for some people, and again, I'm always apprehensive to say this because ice cream, depending on how it's made, some people can tolerate quite tolerate it quite well. The cow's milk again and yogurt. So I think the the closer to nature you can get dairy, the better it's always going to be for you. Um, and then of course always organic because you don't want to be adding in any sort of horm well added in hormones or antibiotics or other toxins or anything like that, especially if you've already got problems in your gut. Then we've got our legumes, nuts and seeds. So this remembers on our low FODMAP. So we're looking at cashews, which are a legume. Um, peanuts, of course, are a legume as well. Pistachios, baked beans, black beans, broad beans, chickpeas um, are very inflammatory, believe it or not. Fava beans and split peas. And then some other ingredients we want to be aware of inulin um which actually is a sugar and it, it kind of makes me giggle because when i see people send me stuff about um ketogenic recipes or packages of so-called ketogenic foods and i see inulin and i'm like hold on but that's a sugar so um then we've got of course our high fructose corn syrup Honey does contain fructose, um, and then agave, which has always been a big no for me, regardless of FODMAP diets, agave has always been no. Um, so you want to be sure to read the ingredient list on the nutrition label of each product for any FODMAPs, including those added ingredients. Um, there's... I'll tell you at the end. I was going to say no, but I'll tell you at the end. So how do you know what foods are low in FODMAP? And this is one of the difficulties of the low FODMAP diet is identifying which foods and ingredients are um, either high or low in FODMAP. Um, so here, I'll tell you now. There is, of course, if I upload the PDFs and the information in my biohacking group, you will have access to that, of course. So, I mean, not that everyone wants to carry around like pieces of paper in the grocery store, unless you're me and I do weird stuff. But there's also, um, there's two other options. So right now I have been kind of um, 
sending a link to the Food Sense app to a couple of my clients to give them to use as a tool. Now, the Food Sense app is a very basic app, but I like basic because basic is simple and it just does what it's supposed to do. It does exactly what's on the tin and it gets the job done. So, the Food Sense app, you can get in the App Store on Apple. And anyway, I'm not sure about the other phones, but it's $3.99. That's Canadian dollars, which is fine. I mean, well, for me, it's business right off, but $3.99 is still quite affordable. And in the Food Sense app, you get all the different categories of foods. So if you go into vegetables, it'll tell you a list of specific types of vegetables, kind of the more common and popular ones. Um, I mean, the, the list is quite extensive, so it is impressive. And then you can click on certain foods. So let's say rhubarb, and it will tell you this is either high or low in FODMAPs, it's high in oxalates, it's high in salicylates, it'll tell you what the lectins are like, it'll tell you what the histamines are like, or if you maybe click on sweet potato, one of my favorites, we see the FODMAPs there, the lectins are moderate, salicylates, oxalates, like this app is really good. Again, it's basic, straight to the point, it, it does the job. It does exactly what it says on the tin, which if you don't recognize that reference, it used to be an ad back in Ireland and England years ago about this varnish for the outside of your house that would protect your house from storm weather because it did exactly what it said on the tin. Anyway, there's a little kind of side note trivia for you there. There's also another app um, that was created by Monash University and this app is kind of what they call it the on-the-go guide to the FODMAP diet. So you can go in and see which foods are low FODMAP, which foods are high and the specific subsets of the sugars in them. It's a little bit more complicated than the Food Sense app, but it's pretty good too. I haven't downloaded it, so I don't know if it's free or not, but it's definitely an option there, and you can get that on the App Store, Google Play, and Amazon App Store as well. Um, so again, that one is called Monash FODMAP app. So M-O-N-A-S-H FODMAP app. Um, I don't know the price of that, but you can look it up and find out. Um, so I like these apps because they're obviously handy. Most of us always have our phone with us. If we're eating out at a restaurant or we're going grocery shopping, you can just click into your app um, and then see what's what in each food and make your choices based on that. And although it won't be as comprehensive as the apps, I will be giving you guys some lists in my group. Um, I know not everyone's going to use apps in any way. Some people do just like the old school kind of pen to paper approach. Um, but when we go through the FODMAP, so how do we go through? We have some phases. We've got the elimination phase, and this is a strict phase of low FODMAP, and it's not a long-term solution. It is an elimination phase only. Uh, the low FODMAP should 
to be like the diet overall generally gets done for it can be anywhere from six weeks to three months it really can depending on the severity the elimination phase is usually done two to three weeks i like three weeks just to give your body a chance to detox any inflammatory proteins um so and it'll all depend on how you respond so in the elimination phase all fodmaps are strictly limited uh, within your diet to see a reduction in your symptoms and if and when that has successfully reduced your symptoms you then move into the next phase which is the reintroduction phase and during this phase you begin to methodically reintroduce each FODMAP type at a time obviously the ones you like uh, to determine which ones trigger your symptoms for example you might reintroduce a fructose only containing food such as a fruit followed by um, a period of no FODMAP moves be, no FODMAP foods before trying a different one when we do what's considered a washout period after trying one FODMAP food that allows the body to kind of flush out those FODMAPs be before we try another one and this allows us to kind to pinpoint easier what we have problems with and what we don't have problems with. FODMAPs often have a dose-dependent relationship with symptoms, so varying amounts of each food should be tested. And remember, the goal of the diet is to help ensure you are not unnecessarily eliminating beneficial foods from your diet and thus reducing your exposure to specific micronutrients that are essential for good health. Now, if you have no symptoms from one type of FODMAP at a certain amount, this food then you can increase the frequency and the amounts. And if after one week of including that food in your diet, you still have no symptoms, then that food is safe for you to eat again. And this can happen. Someone can do a low FODMAP diet or heal the gut and then start to introduce foods that they had an intolerance to before and now they don't have an intolerance at all. Um, there's a couple of reasons for this, but one is that our cell linings of our intestines, they do turn over really fast. So if you take the right approach and you heal them, then you can eliminate intolerances. Now, if you do get symptoms from adding in a specific FODMAP food, you should end that trial of that FODMAP type and return to the baseline low FODMAP diet, which was your elimination phase um, until the symptoms settle, which is usually about three days or so. Why is that? Because our gut lining turns over every three days. So make sure that you're recording like how much you're having how much you can tolerate how much um you're having before you get symptoms and like you want to be a tracker here you want to track everything and you can try the same food at a lower dose as well if you think you've started too high or you can just move on to another type of FODMAP food like reintroduction and come back to the food again um like for some people you might not be able to eat half an avocado, but a quarter of an avocado might be fine. Um, but if you have no symptoms after reintroducing a FODMAP, it's important to still have that three-day 
baseline or wash out before adding in another one just so you know there's no kind of crossover there. So the initial reintroduction phase is complete once you have tried all five main types of FODMAPs. So again, you remember we went through them. So they were your fructose, lactose, fructans, galactans, and polyols. So our five overarching types. So um, once the initial phase is done and you've gone through all those five types, then um, you can start looking at variety and watch again for those symptoms. Back to this tracking. You can also trial individual foods with FODMAP types to assess your tolerance of levels of specific individual foods. Most of us don't have huge amounts of variety in our diet, so although this can sound daunting, really we kind of rotate around the same types of foods a lot of the time. So if I was to eliminate, let's just say, fruits, my five main fruits are going to be apples, strawberries, blueberries, um, sometimes I'll have oranges and kiwis. So there are five. So that means I'm not trying to test and reintroduce 25 different fruits. I'm only trying to test and reintroduce the five that I know I like and that I'm going to eat. So it sounds daunting, but don't be looking at it as I have to try out every food on the planet. You only have to reintroduce stuff that you eat. Um, and then, of course, the five overarching types. So you're keeping track of what's in what food. This is where those apps can come in helpful as well. Um, so when you... Like I said, when you're reintroducing FODMAPs, it doesn't have to be complicated. You do want to aim to do it in the comfort of your own home. In case you do get an IBS reaction, you kind of want to be near the toilet. But also in your own home, you can uh, control what you eat. You can control how certain foods are prepared. You'll know if they're organic and so on and so on. Um, so... Excuse me. Each individual FODMAP group should be tested using a food that is solely high in one of the FODMAP types. So fructose again, we would just try our high fructose fruits. If you use a food that is high in two or more FODMAP types, then you don't know which is causing your symptoms. So we want to try these simple forms first before we start adding in crossovers. So you can either A, reintroduce a FODMAP food by consuming it at the same time you eat your regular low FODMAP meal, uh, like a teaspoon of the FODMAP at the same time you eat, say, your dinner. Or B, you could combine the FODMAP food into your meal or snack, super salad. I generally, if I was doing it, I would just go have the FODMAP food, wait a while, see how I react. Do that a couple of times and then I would combine the FODMAP food with a meal and then see how I react. So kind of covering both options. So option A allows you to easily take note of the portion size that you consume so that you can like increase it if you need to. And it obviously tells you what specific food you had. Option B allows you to enjoy the food as part of your regular meals, but it makes it a little more difficult to know how much you consumed if it's in a recipe. Um, so 
there are some ways that we can look at retesting and we've gone through a lot here um, if you were to I'll just give you like an example of a reintroduction phase so this is after you've done your elimination phase um, you can look at say on Monday you add in a small FODMAP portion and then if everything is good and you've no symptoms we go to Tuesday and then we'd have a medium FODMAP portion so a little bigger than Monday if you end up having severe symptoms there then you're going to stop if you don't and everything's fine then on Wednesday you're going to have a higher portion of that FODMAP food um, and then you'd stop so there's our three days and we would do our washout period so you know okay I had mango for the last three days and I'm perfectly fine there and then we'll stop for three days for our washout period and then if you are symptom free after that washout period which is three days of what I call flushing where your body will just flush out any kind of remnants of the mango if you're symptom free then you can begin the next FODMAP reintroduction food so let's just say avocado and you increase in portion size over the three days if there's no issues wash out again so this can take some time but I mean for people that have very severe gut issues and IBS issues it's worth it you can't live like that some people are in horrific pain and they can't eat anything at all and every time they do eat they're worried if they're going to have to run to the bathroom and it's hard to entertain or eat out at restaurants or eat out at all because you're wondering where the closest toilet is am I going to react to this what are the ingredients in this so sometimes taking the time to go through this low FODMAP kind of trial and error diet is better than the alternative because that's not a way to live um, and then when we look at adding back in your fructans and your galactans so those lectins the ones I would consider to go hand in hand with lectins they pass through your digestive system more slowly and therefore take a longer time to trigger a reaction um, so due to this these FODMAP groups require a slightly different testing schedule um, so for example with that you would have your small portion on Monday um, and then Tuesday you would do elimination and then see if you've any symptoms then Wednesday you would go with a medium portion Tuesday Thursday you would go back to your kind of low FODMAP diet or your elimination day because the symptoms may take 24 hours or more to show up so you kind of have a day between each of these testing days to just give the molecules a chance to move through your system and if you're symptom free after a few days of this then you would go on to the next one so it can sound complicated but not too much and if you work with a health practitioner that can help you they will go through it with you and give you some resources but otherwise um, do check out those apps that I mentioned and if if you are in my biohacking group or biohacking library then keep an eye out for any resources that I post I do have a big list of things to do so um, 
I try to get through things as fast as I can and as they come to mind. But as always, reach out to me if you have any questions or need any direction or you want me to um, cover a specific diet or topic or anything like that. There is one thing I'll wrap this episode up with. The low FODMAP diet is not a permanent solution. It's not something that you should be staying on long term. It's an elimination protocol and it can be very restrictive in its nature. And it's important to highlight that the full low FODMAP diet should not be considered a permanent option. You can't live like that either. And you would also experience some other negative effects of malnutrition and stuff. You do need to reintroduce foods at some stage to allow for plenty of variety from a different range of food groups to make sure that your proper micronutrient needs are being met. Um, emerging research shows eliminating FODMAPs over the long term can hinder your gut health and potentially cause more harm than good. So it's important to identify the FODMAPs that cause you the symptoms and in what amounts so that you know how much you can tolerate without having to avoid certain FODMAP foods completely and indefinitely it's also important to reintroduce the FODMAPs back into your diet sooner rather than later to help decrease the chances of making your food intolerances worse so this comes back to the idea of hormesis as well so i hope you found this episode really helpful please share with anyone you feel may benefit like i said if you've got questions for me reach out to me on facebook or instagram or my website tremainsmodelhealth.com i will be happy to answer if you are on facebook please do um join my biohacking library if you're not already i know most of you are but you'll see it's jam-packed with information and i will be adding Lots of stuff really, really shortly. Okay, have a great evening, everyone. And I will chat to you guys later. Bye-bye.